when Jill and I were first married, we went to a church, and we only went there for a few months because we started a ministry shortly after there, but that, but we went for a few months to this church in the town where I went to Bible college, and the church had a very active prayer chain. Now, this uh, was nearly 40 years ago, and so uh, a lot has changed since then. But in those days, the way it worked was someone would phone in a prayer request, and then the person who received the prayer request would call several people who would call several people who would call several people, and they would pass on the request through the telephone line and it was really an effective way back then. Now, it was in the 70s or early 80s, so we didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We, we didn't have caller ID. But the prayer chain was an effective way to get people praying using available technology then. But the person who called us was a woman named Sylvia. And Sylvia was about 70 years old, and she was the head of the prayer chain. And because of an illness or an accident, I'm not sure, she had lost her voice and she could only speak in whispers. And she managed to lead this ministry that involved making a lot of phone calls when she only could speak in whispers. And she would call us for many months with these requests, and we always knew who it was when we heard her voice on the phone. And it was about six months after we had left that church to become a youth pastor. I was home one afternoon, and the phone rang, and this voice said, Hi, how are you? And I said, Sylvia, it is good to hear from you. I told her how we were doing that. I told her about our ministry, and then I said, How are you? And then the voice said something that I didn't think Sylvia would ever say. And so I thought I had misunderstood, so I asked her to repeat what she had said, and I had not misunderstood. I'd heard it right the first time, and I said, this isn't Sylvia, is it? And the obscene phone caller on the other end said, I'll be whoever you want me to be. Well, that was unexpected. I was shocked. I mean, it was so unexpected because I thought it was Sylvia. By the way, no one laughed harder at that story than Sylvia when I told her that. But maybe you've had one of those moments when what happened was completely unexpected. You went to your mailbox and you found a check in the mail that you had no idea was coming or someone that you loved who lives far away surprised you with a visit. And we like those kind of unexpected events. Or maybe you went to work one day and you were terminated. Or you went to the doctor and you received a bad report. Or you went to what you thought was going to be a quiet dinner and your spouse asked you for a divorce. Those kind of unexpected events are the ones we hate. They're the ones we hate. 
And we're starting this new series called Unexpected. And we'll be looking at events from the last hours of Jesus' life before he died on the cross and the first hours of that very first Easter because several events surrounding those time frames took those around Jesus totally by surprise. There were events that were just totally unexpected. And many of those same events give us instruction and help for dealing with different situations that we face. And just maybe we will find that Jesus wants people around us to find some of our responses and our reactions to situations to be unexpected also. So we begin by looking at an event that happened right before Jesus was arrested. He had already met with his followers in the upper room. He had already washed their feet. He had already taught them about remembering him using what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. He had already predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And Judas had already left the upper room to betray Jesus. But now Jesus and his followers go to a place called Gethsemane. It was a quiet olive grove, about a one-mile walk from where they had had the Last Supper. And it was one of Jesus' favorite places to pray near Jerusalem. And when we picture Jesus praying we tend to have a very specific picture of him. We tend to see his hands folded and we tend to believe that it's a very peaceful time for him and that he's enjoying talking to God and that it's, you know, there's that halo around his head that we've seen in artwork and it's just a very serene and peaceful picture generally when we picture Jesus praying. We picture it as a good time. But that was not the case on this night. Look at what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22. Jesus walked on a little way before he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you will, please don't make me suffer by having me drink from this cup, but do what you want and not what I want. Then an angel from heaven came to help him, and Jesus was in great pain. And prayed so sincerely that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. This is not a serene and peaceful time. He is in great distress. He's begging God not to make him have to suffer. He is so distraught and so upset that an angel has to come to try to minister to him or to help him. And even after that happens, he is still in great pain. And Luke the doctor, Luke the physician, tells us that Jesus was in so much pain that his sweat actually fell to the ground like drops of blood. This was not just a phrase. This was not just a symbolism. This is a rare thing that actually happens sometimes. It can be as a result of a disease, but it can also be as a result of stress. You can sweat blood in certain stressful situations. So Jesus is praying just before he's arrested, and he's really anxious. He's very upset. He's worried, and he's stressed. And for his followers then, that was really unexpected. 
It was so unexpected that we read about it in three out of four of the biblical writings about the life of Jesus. But if we're being honest, Jesus being upset while he's praying, that's a little unexpected for us too, isn't it? I mean, this is Jesus. (laughs) He shouldn't be stressed, should he? This is Jesus. He, He shouldn't be worried, right? After all, we know what Philippians 4 says. Here's what it says. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and your requests to God. Then because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. But Jesus was anxious that night. He was distressed and he was in pain. And the solution when we are distressed, when we're in pain, the solution for our anxiety is in the verse we just read. We need to pray about everything. When Jesus was anxious, that's what he did. He prayed. And his prayer Uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, teaches us some lessons about prayer. Let me point a few of them out to you. First, we can pray while we're troubled. We can pray while we're troubled. Look again at what happened that night. This time, let's look at it from the writings of Matthew. From Matthew 26, start with verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. When they got there, he told them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And Jesus took along Peter and the two brothers, James and John. He was very sad and troubled. And he said to them, I am so sad that I feel as if I am dying. Stay here and keep awake with me. Now it's interesting that he went to a place called Gethsemane. Because the word Gethsemane in Hebrew means olive press. As I said earlier, Gethsemane is uh, and was an olive grove. And olive oil was a very precious commodity. Ancient people would use oil presses like the one pictured here to crush the olives. They would put the entire olive seed and all into uh, the large round stone basin like the one we see here. And then they'd be crushed by another large round stone that was rotated around the basin by a donkey or an oxen or another domesticated animal. And it would create kind of a paste. It's kind of a gross paste when you see it. You can see some of that paste stuck to the stone if you look closely at the picture there. And after the donkey crushes the olives into a paste, the paste was placed into a wicker basket with uh, drain holes in the baskets. And those baskets would then be stacked eight to ten high in an olive press. And uh, then they would be pressed for the olive oil to come out. Now, each set of baskets was pressed three times. The first press was just the weight of the baskets on top of each other and the farmer pressing down. And this produced the best and the most pure olive oil, what we would call extra virgin olive oil today. And by Jewish law, the oil from the first press would be offered to God as a first fruits offering. 
and it wasn't used at home. It was taken to the temple in Jerusalem for use there. The second press, they, for the second press, they added the top stone and the beam that you see here in the diagram, and more olive oil was pressed from the bags. And the quality of that oil from the second press was still pretty good, and it was used for food and medicine and perfume and cosmetics. And for the third press, they would add the, stone that, the stones that you see over here on this side of the diagram, and they would apply more pressure, but the quality of the oil wasn't very good, so it would be used only for oil lamps and for making soap. So when Jesus was feeling pressed, when he was fe feeling overwhelmed, and when he felt like he had all sorts of pressure on him, he went to a place called Gethsemane, or oil press, olive press, and it's interesting that Jesus prayed his prayer not one time, not two times, but three times, similar to the olives being pressed three times. You see, this was not a casual time of prayer for Jesus. This was not casual. I mean, this wasn't one of those arrow prayers that we so often engage in as Christians. You know the type of prayer I mean. We're driving along in the car and we're just kind of casually tossing prayers in God's direction. And, uh, you know, we're talking about something that concerns us or we're laying in bed at night and we're talking to God uh, and we pray until we nod off to sleep. We just kind of shoot a prayer in God's direction. No, this was an intense time of prayer for Jesus. He was really struggling. He was really concerned. And I think he was fearful. I think he was fearful of what was in front of him. I think he feared the pain that would be inflicted by the beatings and by the torture and ultimately by the cross. I, th I think he was anxious about the lies that would be told, the false accusations that would be made against him, and the ridicule and the humiliation that he would suffer. But more than that, I think he might have been suffering because he knew that this would create a crisis point for the followers that he loved. He would see their pain. He would see their compromise. He would see their fear. And it was just so much. It just felt like the weight of everything was on him and it was so much that he prayed God, I'm really troubled by this. Is there any other way? I don't want to do this. Can we find a different way to accomplish this? Please don't make me suffer this way. And even if it was unexpected for Jesus to be so upset and so anxious, don't miss the lesson for you here. When I'm upset, when I'm fearful, when I'm anxious and worried, I can follow Jesus' example. We can and we should come to God at those times because we can pray while we're troubled. Another lesson from Jesus' prayer is this. We can pray while we're disappointed. While we're disappointed. Let's continue on in Matthew 26. Start with verse 39. Jesus walked on a little way. Then he knelt with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, don't make me suffer by having to drink from this cup. 
but do what you want, not what I want. He came back and he found his disciples sleeping. So he said to Peter, can't any of you stay awake with me for just one hour? Stay awake and pray that you won't be tested. You want to do what's right, but you are weak. I really do think that Jesus was experiencing pretty significant disappointment on this night. Let's review a few facts about disappointment. Some of them uh, probably won't surprise you. First, people will often disappoint you. People will often disappoint you. Jesus had asked his closest friends to go with him. He had taken all of his followers, but then he took just three more, his closest friends, deeper into the garden. And he said to them, I'm really struggling tonight. I'm really sad. I'm really upset. And he asked them to pray. He asked them to stay awake with him. And after praying this agonizing prayer, after pouring out his heart to God, after being so upset that he sweat drops of blood, During this time when he's so upset and anxious, he goes back to his closest friends and he finds them asleep. Finds them asleep. And it's interesting to me that the passage specifically mentions Jesus spoke to Peter about this. Because you see, it was Peter who just an hour or two before this had made some promises to Jesus. While in the upper room before going to the garden, Jesus had said to his followers, you're all going to desert me. You're all going to run away. And Peter went, not me. No, I am not going to do that. I am going to stick with you. I'm going to stand up for you. I will not run away. I will not desert you. And Jesus said, yeah, you will. And Peter said, no, not me. Even if I have to die for you, I will not desert you. He made all these promises. I'm never going to desert you. I'm going to stand up for you. And now he can't even stay awake with Jesus. Now he can't even stay awake with Jesus who has said, gee, I really need you now. And the truth of the matter is, people will disappoint us. I mean, they'll be insensitive when they should be sensitive. They will fail to keep promises that we need them to keep. They will minimize our hurts and sometimes outright betray us or hurt us. And one thing I can guarantee, people will disappoint you. I know I probably will disappoint you at some point, even without meaning to. You see, the truth is people will disappoint us sometimes innocently, other times intentionally. But the second fact I want to remind you about disappointment is this. You will often disappoint you. You will often disappoint you. Jesus says, you want to do what is right, but you are weak. Or as the older translations put it, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that about sums up much of our life, doesn't it? We want to do the right thing, but we're weak. We want to do what God asks us to do, but we feel so weak. We we want to say no to that sin, but we just feel so weak and we want to give like the Bible teaches but we we just feel so weak and we want to lose that weight or we want to end that habit or we want to forgive that person we want to stand strong for God we really do want to do what's right but we're just so weak and here's the thing 
I think Jesus could say those words to his followers that night because I think that's what Jesus was feeling himself in that moment. He wanted to do what God wanted. He was willing to do what God wanted, but in his humanness at that moment, he just felt weak. He felt so weak. So if you've ever looked at your life and you've looked at how you try to follow Jesus and you really, really, really want to follow him, but you sometimes fail and you sometimes fall. And if you look at that and you are disappointed in yourself, I believe you're in good company. I believe you're in good company. Even Jesus wanted to do right and even Jesus felt weak. And the truth is, sometimes we disappoint ourselves. There's one more fact about disappointment that I want to remind you of, and it's the one we don't like to talk about very much, and that's this. God will often disappoint you. God will often disappoint you. On this night that we're reading about, Jesus cried out to God. He asked God to find another way. He said, God, this is just too much. He asked God to change the plan so that Jesus didn't have to suffer and he prayed hard and he prayed sincerely and he prayed intently. And on that night, Jesus heard God say, no. Well, God may have said it gently. He may have said it lovingly. But God said no. Have you ever heard God say no? I have. I have prayed intently and I've prayed sincerely and I've explained to God other ways that he could be honored by doing something different, something I thought was better. I've prayed for people to be healed of diseases and I've prayed for marriages to be healed of conflict and I've prayed for people to repent and I've prayed for people to be protected and I've prayed for God to provide finances and volunteers and sometimes God has answered these prayers by saying no. No. And many times, I've been disappointed with God. I've been disappointed in God. God disappoints us when we really believe with all our heart that our answer to the problem is better or that it's easier or that it's less painful. And to us, uh, the outcome of God's answer seems just so painful sometimes. It seems so harsh Sometimes, yet even when God disappoints me, I know I can trust him. I've learned that I can trust him. He is wise and he is loving. Even when I thought I knew what was best, what God ends up doing really is best. And so Jesus' prayer teaches us, even when we're struggling with disappointment, even when we're struggling with disappointment with God, I can pray and I can find help and comfort and strength from him. Lastly, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane teaches us we can pray while we're choosing. We can pray while we're choosing. Look at the rest of the verse. Start with verse 42 from Matthew 26. Again, Jesus went to pray and said, Father, my Father, if there's no other way and I must suffer, 
I will still do what you want. Jesus came back and found them sleeping again. They simply could not keep their eyes open. He left them and prayed the same prayer once more. Finally, Jesus returned to his disciples and he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? The time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let's go. The one who will betray me is already here. Don't miss what this passage is teaching us. Jesus, just moments before he was arrested, was in the process of making a choice. Jesus was in the process of making a choice. Has it occurred to you that Jesus had a choice about whether or not to go to the cross and die for our sins? He had a choice. Jesus could have said no to the cross. He could have walked out of that garden and escaped into the hills. He could have hid from his enemies. He could have decided that he was never going to die and part of the unexpected struggle, or it's unexpected for me when I see, part of the struggle is he's wrestling with whether he's going to do it or not. He's wrestling with whether he's going to uh, follow through with this plan or not. He's trying to decide whether to do what he knows God wants him to do or to say no to it. Jesus had the choice to say yes or no to God. And the same thing is true for us. We have the freedom to choose each time that we come face to face with what God wants us to do, whether it's serving or forgiving or giving or speaking up or being quiet or saying no to sin. Each time we have a choice to make. Are we going to say yes to God or are we going to say no to him? Are we going to say yes to God or are we going to say no to him? And praying while we are choosing is a good plan. Jesus is struggling to choose because he knows how much saying yes is going to hurt. But just as he knew the pain and the humiliation and the heartbreak that awaited him if he said yes to God, he also knew the consequences of saying no to God. He knew the consequences. He knew that if he said no to God's plan that people would still be lost in their sin. He knew that if he said no to the cross that you and me, we'd be condemned because of our own sinfulness. And so he made the choice to say yes. He said, God, if there is no other way, I will still do what you want. Now here's what I've noticed. Many Christ followers seem to be pretty aware of the pain and the inconvenience of saying yes to God. I mean, they see the pain and the inconvenience. They know that volunteering to serve will cost them precious time and forgiving someone will let them off the hook when they really don't deserve to be let off the hook. And speaking up for Christ might embarrass them in front of friends or family members. And many seem to be very aware of the pain and the inconvenience of saying yes to God, but they don't seem to be very aware of the consequences of saying no to God. 
consequences like a spiritual life that is weak and powerless because they put themselves above God or a life full of bitterness and hate because they just won't forgive or less influence for their church and the community and ultimately people who remain lost because we say no to God's purpose in our lives. And the truth of the matter is Often we find ourselves really unhappy in our life and the root of the problem is the choices we made. It's choices we made. We choose to do it our own way instead of doing it God's way and then we find ourselves not liking the consequences of that choice. And another truth is this, sometimes even when we make the right choice, we might not like the consequences. Choosing to do what God wants is always the right choice, but it also might cost us. We may experience pain and inconvenience and loss as a result. And Jesus had a tough choice to make. And he knew that the best thing that he could do while he was choosing was to pray about it. I forget that sometimes. Sometimes I forget in the midst of decision-making to pray. I'm too quick to try to strategize a solution rather than taking time to pray and ask God to give me wisdom and the right road forward. But Jesus' prayer teaches us that we can pray while we're troubled and we can pray while we're disappointed and we can pray while we're choosing. So Jesus was very anxious and he was very upset before he was arrested. And that was unexpected because we know that he is 100% God and we would have expected a different response. We would have expected him to have no doubt and to have no worry, to march to the cross without hesitation and without question. And in the end, that's what he did. From the moment he wakes up his followers for the very last time, he seems resolved. He seems totally committed. He doesn't seem to waver at all, even in the midst of the suffering and the pain. Why the change? I believe it was because he spent this time in prayer. I think he gave us a key for how to handle it when we're troubled or disappointed or making big decisions we need to pray. And again, that shouldn't surprise us because it's the solution we read earlier from Philippians chapter 4. Let's read it again. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then because you belong to Christ Jesus... God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. When we're worried and when we're anxious, we need to pray. We need to pray about everything. And we need to remember to thank God as we pray because he promises, and I have found this to be true in my life, when we pray, God gives us peace. God gives us peace peace. And it's a peace we don't completely understand because the situation usually hasn't changed. I mean, many, many times in my life, I have prayed. I've prayed about a really big problem. Sometimes I have been so overwhelmed by the pressure of it and by the problem that I just really didn't have words to pray. 
It just seemed like over and over what was coming out was, God, help me, help me, help me, God, help me, you know, that I couldn't really string together a um, intelligent thought. But I've prayed while I was stressed, and I've prayed diligently, and I've prayed intently, and then suddenly I feel peace. Suddenly I, I feel peace, and the situation hasn't changed it's no better than it was before, and I still don't have a clear answer. And uh, even though sometimes I know any decision that I make is going to cause me or other people pain, but what's changed is I've released my responsibility. I've released my control to God, and I have trusted Him to deal with the situation, and He has given me peace peace that affects how I think and how I feel, a peace that guards my heart. So as we conclude today, let me ask you, what are you struggling with today? What are you struggling with today? What is it that has you anxious? What is it that has you worried and under pressure? What is it that's pressing you, you down like you have that olive press that we looked at earlier. Now let me ask you, have you prayed about it? I mean, really prayed about it. Maybe you want someone to pray with you about it. You can stop by the next steps canopy following the service and someone would be glad to pray with you about it. But why don't we pray right now, right here?